Well, hello, everybody. It is, oh my goodness, just over a week before the Christmas holiday, right? So we're all kind of crazed and running, aren't we? At least I know I am. Um, But we have like this enormous um, art tour and sale happening this weekend, and that's what we're pretty much going to talk about. Um, with a new exhibition of art by some phenomenal, uh, really beautiful artists. And um, yes, I'm talking about the arts today, so uh, bear with me. But we're also going to talk about the media and its role in this past election. And Jeb Horn from The Lens is going to join us as uh, soon as I get the phone number in the engineer's hands. Um, But in the meantime, we're going to start off with um, the artist Tina Freeman, who is a um, quite remarkable woman who has been doing photography all over the world. And um, most recently um, in St. Bernard Parish, where we're basically fighting for our lives, our culture, our community, as the oceans rise and land subsides and, and the marshes burn up from too much salt. And we have to look for ways to address that. So, Um, Tina and I went for a a walk out to the water treatment plant in St. Bernard, an unlikely site, uh, you might say. But um, Tina? Yes. Hi, Jean. Hi. Tell us your perspective on this big, and I tried to get the square footage and I just didn't have time to nail it, but rather huge um, plant that is in the process of cleaning water and putting it back out in the marsh? Well, it's plunked right in the middle of the woods. You've got the woods on both sides, and it's it's state-of-the-art. It's obvious that it is a brand-new plant. There are a couple of parts of it that are from before Katrina, but most of it is from after Katrina. And um, it's very... Impressive. Um, it's wonderful that St. Bernard has that facility. And um, when I was photographing it, uh, there's a you know great deal of symmetry and and power behind um, what's there. What? Um, how do you approach as a photographer, as an artist, um, a site that um, I don't think many people would think would be the subject of of art photography. When you saw that for the first time, as compared with some of the elegant landscapes that you deal with, what was your first reaction? Well, I mean, I have photographed the uh, Market Street power plant, and um, the scale of those industrial uh, sites are awe-inspiring. And... The the precision of things like the the stairways and the uh, collection ponds and and just the whole process that the water has to go through to go from um, being black water or gray water to being clean enough to put back into the Mississippi River is pretty astonishing. Uh, I mean, I had no idea. I guess I did know, but I hadn't actually seen the ponds where there are microorganisms that that um, help clean the water. And then you get 
too many microorganisms, so you have to to filter them out, and they become these little bricks <laughs> that we saw being um, taken out of um, the ponds and skimmed from the ponds. And but it was it was a beautiful site in its symmetry. There's, I mean, uh, there's the old architectural you know idea of form follows function, and when you have that, it can be very beautiful and. And that's the case in this kind of industrial setting. I um, I was struck in particular, um, yeah, by the contrast of the, the woods. And, and this is something that um, people who are in the business of dealing with our environment and looking for ways of um, heading off what we hope is not the inevitable um, really drowning of of that parish, not to mention all of the parishes on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, and actually it's happening worldwide, of course, as the oceans rise. It's it's global. It's not, you know, a local phenomenon. But um, I, I was just struck by the watching the water pass through. The, one of the areas that um, always captures my attention, when this is I've walked through there now, I think, three times, <clears throat> uh, those kind of like little waterfalls where, yes. you, where yeah. you see, you know, different and, and, and this, the smell factor, we can't capture that in photography, but when you first start out, it, it's, you know, pretty foul smelling. And then by the time you get to where the water is actually uh, flowing out into the marshes, it's really the marshes that we're trying to rebuild. Um, it's sweet smelling. So, it, it really underscores as you're walking through all this huge machinery that um, we're dealing with what, what folks call intervention. It's an intervention site. It's not just a water plant. Right, yes. And there are other sites around the state that are using, um, I, I believe I'm right here, I may be wrong, um, like stage one uh, treatment, treated water to use the nutrients to go out into the wetlands and and actually feed or fertilize new cypress trees, and apparently that's been very successful. And um, I, we haven't gotten out yet, but I hope that we can to where uh, students who live in Saint Bernard are out there uh, planting mangrove plants. They, we discovered that we can. Um, also attack the uh, build ground by um, planting uh, uh, mangrove, I guess, I don't want to say seeds, they're seedlings, small plants that are, are, are at work also. And, you know, the contrast of that, of course, with, um, I don't know if you've been to Del Crow Island recently, but, you know, to, to be out there where so many people have had to leave and, and um, you know, the, the original population, I really don't know what percentage of the people who are there now um, are from the original population, many of whom left after the last big storm before Katrina. Um, these houses raised up you know, almost two stories. Oh, wow. yeah, it's such I've a phenomenal site. It really underscores what's going on. Yeah, I spent, I, I probably did four or five trips in, around there in Shell Beach in the fall. And it, it's extraordinary to see how far up they've had to jack up. Um, actually, quite often it's a trailer, and it might be 15 or 20 feet above the ground. Uh, I, um, 
I'm struck by the issue of how going forward people really are going to live there. So, you know, one of the things that we are trying to do with the exhibition of art at the um, Crevasse 22 River Houses, it's called the Sculpture Garden and the Museum is in Poydras. And by the way, folks, it's only 25 minutes away from the city. It's like 12 miles. I know we're so used to getting everywhere in 10, 15 minutes when we think about crossing the bridge down to the Ninth Ward and then beyond to Araby and St. Bernard. It seems like it's far away. It really isn't. It's a, that's what's actually frightening about it, isn't it, how close it is? Well, it, it's an interesting drive, too. There's, there's some really beautiful aspects of it. For instance, the alley of oak trees that go through the, the cow pastures and, and seeing those, those big ships that have been mothballed on the river. It's, it's, there's some really interesting um, things to see on the way down, too. And, um, uh, of course, the thing that is new and, and really changing completely the complexion of, of the parish um, is, is the influx of new young creatives who, um, you know, we, of course, saw them move into the Marigny and, and Bywater and, and Holy Cross, and now they're moving into Araby. Um, I'm sure we'll start seeing, you know, all the way down to Braithwaite, um, properties where artists take up residence because for one thing it's just absolutely beautiful it is definitely dangerous in terms of the long-term life of it so there's a lot of thinking that has to go into that but um, I, I hope that your photographs which are really quite extraordinary and dramatic as well as um, the artwork by um, Allison Stewart and uh, Jackie Bishop that are also a part of the new show that's going up will uh, kind of underscore both the beauty of what we have and, and the threats and, and how we're dealing with it that are um, communicated through your photographs. Uh, tell me about some of the other environments, Tina, that you have um, experienced and, and how they've impacted you as you photograph them. Uh, well, uh, in Louisiana, it's, it's fascinating to um, the, the most recent trip I took was down by Empire and um, the amount of land loss that's taken place in that area is extreme, um, and it's particularly interesting. Shows the, the extent of how much land has been lost. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but it certainly looks like it's eighty-five percent of the land um, in the wow. immediate area of empire. Um, but I've I've also, on the new project that I'm working on, have been to Lulisat in Greenland, and that's one of the largest um, exit glaciers from the Greenland ice sheet. And the uh, the amount of uh, loss that that um, glacier has had um, is extreme as well. It's it's treated about 40 miles, um, and uh, the numbers that I've read is that like 0 0.06 millimeters per year of sea level rise comes from that very glacier. And um, then I've also, anyway, but um, there's also been information that the melt that's happening on the Greenland ice cap is happening in Antarctica, and this is new information, which is very um disturbing information so we've got a, there's a lot of 
ice melting. And if you've ever had, you know, looked at ice in your glass, the, the ice that's uh, floating around in your glass doesn't really add that much to the level of ice in your drink. But if you throw a couple more ice cubes in there, you could overflow your ink pretty quickly. And that's the difference between land-based ice like Greenland and sea-based ice. Um, and we have to think about that here. It's an important, it's a very important um, to uh, living in South Louisiana to pay attention to what's melting elsewhere. So we're getting a little bit of static, Tina, uh, through this connection. And um, I uh, tried to um, call you on a different line, and I, I didn't quite get there. But so um, uh, hold your phone really steady, I think. I'm not sure um, what's causing it. Um, the um, iceberg uh, and, and, and Antarctica um, photographs that you've done are also quite extraordinary. We've shown a couple of them. But um, I think that uh, um, we, when you look at them and you think about them, as you said, in, in connection with the impact of where we are, and, and something that has come home to me recently from various conferences and conversations is that our delta is so relatively new. You know, we're only, it's only a few thousand years old as compared to the millions of years of the Earth in general. Um, actually, I'm saying millions, and I think it's more like billions in, in from from pre-life, but from life, I think it's millions. Um, and somebody who knows something about this better than I do can, you know, can uh, uh, talk about that. But um, I see the connection, and I, I, it's hard to imagine uh, the folks who don't. And, of course, we had this new appointment for the EPA that is just, floors everybody, right? Essentially somebody who doesn't acknowledge climate change. That's a that's a frightening thing. On the other hand, obviously what it's going to force us to do is to, again, come together and fight even harder to look for ways to basically help people understand what's happening on the one hand, and, and that's the purpose of the show with your work, and then on the other really, um, you know, figure out how we can take action to Reduce carbon emission. Hello. <laughs> yes. Yes. What What do you? Um, what's your uh, feeling about carbon emissions? I, I, is there anything that you're doing to address that? And And what are your thoughts about what we should be doing in Louisiana? I know this is a little far afield from your artwork, but I know you care about these things too. Well, it, I think the most difficult thing about dealing with climate change as an individual is the question that you've just asked: What can you do? And um, I've tried. I, I try to drive smaller cars. Although I should probably be riding my bike, and have gotten rid of the car. Um, I live in an apartment now rather than a house, which is the lower um, carbon foot, footprint. I do the best that I can with changing light bulbs to um, things like LEDs, and try to lower my energy bill as much as possible. Um, how about your friends, is, Tina? Also, how do you traveling? Uh, yeah. Traveling by air is not a great thing to do. Um, but there's only and another thing that's quite controversial, actually, is 
um, not eating as much red meat, uh, uh, beef because um, cattle produce methane, and methane is a much more uh, toxic climate change gas than um, CO2. And um, But also methane is being produced by the tundra melting, because once the tundra melts, you, um, the organic matter that has been frozen starts decaying and produces methane. So it, it sort of uh, breeds on itself um, some of these things. Uh, the best thing we can do is, is try to get our government to go ahead with the Paris climate change agreement and um, and that would be a very beneficial and positive step at this point and it would be very sad and detrimental to see all of that work scrapped. It took many years to get the United States at the table. They finally came to the table and now it would be tragic if um, the U.S. walked away. Right. And um, that is another thing that struck me about the plant uh, that you photographed. Uh, this enormous uh, um, mechanical um, uh, plant that we had to build just to try to get back to the kind of natural water that was there um, that we we want to have in our marshes in order to keep them alive. I mean, the, the, the thought that you have to, I don't know what it costs, millions, um, I'm sure, um, <laughs> that went into it. And that's what that's what always when I when I'm there, it's, it just strikes me. Oh my God, we have to do this to just get back to clean water in our marshes. So that is such a strong argument for me for why we should be trying to head off the issue in the first place with um, reducing our carbon emissions. But you know, um, all of this is is still what. We, we talk about in, in, the, in the art that we show at the Crevasse 22 River House, and um, this new show opens this Saturday um, from 10 to 5, and there's a tour of many artist studios and places uh, along the way. So um, I know it's going to be a really beautiful day. I hope you're going to be able to be there, are you? Um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly when, but, yes, I will be there. Well, um, I want to thank you for participating in it and for um, being able to spend some time with us on the show. And um, I look forward to seeing you on, on Saturday and uh, everybody else in the city that, um, that comes out. Yes. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Jean. All right. Okay. See you soon. Bye-bye. So um, Tina is one of three artists, and, and her work is, is the most – bizarre in a way because you know you're showing these photographs of this industrial plant as a way of talking about how we're restoring nature um, but at the same time um, we are um, really showing beautiful work and and the work of, of Allison Stewart which are just these very very beautiful elegant um, images of nature uh, and 
abstract, but you can tell that we're looking at um, elements that uh, are re reflect the bayou foliage and environment of Louisiana. And then um, Jackie Bishop's um, paintings and this huge mural that she did that shows a flock of birds flying across the sky and, and then some more intimate views of, of individual birds. Um, we are um, thrilled with how beautiful this new show is and I'm really excited about telling you you've got to get out there this Saturday. Um, having said all that, um, is Jed Horn on the phone all the way from Mexico? Jed Horn is here. Jed, um, I, you, I, we'll get to this issue of Mexico and why you're there. Um, presumably you're not uh, building a wall, um, so I'm not worried about that, but uh, I've got to find out more about that. But um, you are um, in your editorial work with The Lens, which is an online publication, uh, sort of a member of a constituency of a professional tribe, you might say, of people who are faced with such a complex challenge right now between this kind of revolution that's going on in the media, bet between the traditional paper and broadcast media and all of the new social media and the cable channels and the online publications. It's just very confusing universe out there for somebody who even like me is, is, is involved with the media, but I, it's really hard to track exactly how people are getting their information and how we're covering the news. And, and then you add to that revolution, really, in your profession and your trade and, and your fourth estate, as we like to say sometimes, because the media has such an important role sociologically and politically. Then you add to that this bizarre election where we have a larger-than-life celebrity personality that we are still yet to fully understand as as, as blatant, in a way, his communications and, commu and, and our persona are, we're, of course, talking about, I hate to even mention the name, I'm so tired of hearing it, but Donald Trump, um, comes along and, and he's, he and Bernie Sanders really stir a political pot like we haven't seen in decades. Um, you know, people go back to Andrew Jackson to com for comparisons, and he was in what? What was that like? The 18 1820-something? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, a little bit later. Wasn't it a little bit later than that? He really comes. His role, let's say, in the New Orleans area, of course, comes after the Civil War. So, um, it, it's. Am I right? No, 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 no. That's wrong. The Battle of New Orleans, of course, was. In, you're right. It was uh, in the 1820s. Somebody's going to call and correct us, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, was in the seven, it was in the 19th century at any rate. So, um, and then the, the media has had to cover this because it's obviously an extraordinary news story, but at the same time, the coverage has been so comprehensive for various reasons, and it's hard to escape the judgment that, in part, it's been income generating, especially for the cable channels. You know, you find yourself basically watching this, this um, I call it the political soaps, um, all day long, all night long. It just, it, it's nonstop. So it's been 
great for them in a way. And yet at the same time, the, it has to be a moral dilemma because essentially that coverage launched that candidate. No, there's, there's no doubt that um, the, the, the media rolled over for Donald Trump, and it was on the assumption that he couldn't possibly win, that he was a clown, that he was a joke. And uh, in consequence, he got a billion dollars' worth of free publicity from, from media who were willing to simply take his phone calls in the morning and, and cover his every, uh, every deep and turn of his campaign. I think what you're looking at really... Yes, indeed, media are in in a convulsive state, in a revolution, as you've suggested. Um, you know, we have yet we have the largest audience, the largest uh, you know readership, if you will, viewership, uh, listenership in history, and yet the, the the corporate infrastructure has yet to find a way to really um, uh, merchandise that uh, that that readership to really to find the business model that will restore something like predictability and a semblance of order to it. Simultaneously, you have politics um, in convulsion. So you have an industry in convulsion trying to cover uh, an American institution in convulsion, and the result was, in this instance, Donald Trump. Uh, celebrity has trumped ideology, if you will. Uh, we're, we're looking at um, a man who was able and willing to say virtually anything, and uh, it was accepted as, as, as a policy pronouncement, uh, no matter that he lied one minute and then the next and said something completely contradictory, including that he hadn't just said it when it was already there on tape. So it's a, it's a fascinating moment. It's a disturbing moment. Uh, and the media certainly has, has played into his hands and also, let's not forget, into the hands of, uh, of, uh, of Vladimir Putin, if, as seems very uh, certain now, the Russians sought to undermine the uh, credibility of the U.S. election and and uh, facilitate Donald Trump's election. It's it's really kind of an amazing moment, well worth uh, the attention that you're paying to it. So um, I, I guess I read, and I, I don't know if you've read it yet, but I read this very long story in the New York Times. I have a I've, I've developed a terrible new habit. Um, I can't resist catching the opening the openings for the talk shows at night now because, of course, they, they parody and, and help us laugh at um, some of these terrible things that are happening. So I, I watched the beginning of the uh, show on CBS, and, and then I watched the beginning of Seth Meyers because I want to get his um, closer look. Um, and, and then I'll turn to uh, Charlie Rose. I'm here. I'm revealing my inner life, right? And then, and then, just you know, as I'm trying to f relax and and actually get to sleep. Already now we're talking 1 a.m. Um, oh God, my fingers just can't resist checking out the breaking stories in the New York Times. You're never going to get any sleep if you keep this up. Oh, uh, I have to stop. It has to stop. But. Um, I did last night catch that la very long, and unfortunately, I just kept reading, thinking, okay, it's got to be ending soon, and you can't really see how long the story is on, online, right, So you, right. on your phone. So I kept reading, reading and, and got to the end of this very detailed, long story about how and when the Russians actually did start their um, works on uh, – the internet and grabbing 
people's private emails, um, both officials and others. And, um, oh, my God, uh, by the end of it, I was like, oh, let me check my email and make sure nobody's been prying into mine because I'm about as inconsequential as you can get. But <laughs> there they are, not only not only dragging DNC emails out for everybody to see, but um, they they worked on several congressional races, and I I kind of suspected that. I said, you know, if they're if they're working in in the presidential arena, and it's important to the balance of power in Congress is important. Surely they're going to be out there. To, so in this article, it really um, describes the other congressional races that they got involved in too. So, but what really floored me was the people who knew about it, both in the administration. In the oh. DNC itself, where they were getting hacked, and the and the media, and 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 literally, it went on for months during the closing chapters of the election, and nobody did anything really about it. They kind of sat on their hands and said, "Whoa, this is serious," <laughs> and then they yeah. just didn't do anything. Well, it's so new. I mean, I think they they literally. I mean, we couldn't. We as a nation couldn't quite wrap our heads around the fact that 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 this was going on and we could at the same time we were you know being strongly uh kind of primed cued to something like this when we heard um no less an authority than donald trump himself urge the uh the soviet union to hack <clears throat> hack into hillary's emails and uh and 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 for julian <clears throat> excuse me i seem to have something in my throat for Julian Assange of WikiLeaks to um, also conspire in that same process, which which Julian Assange was more than happy to do. My beef with the way this came down is that media, rather than addressing itself, and I think this is the same point that is made in that rather terrific article that you mentioned. So you did see it, huh? Yeah. David Sanger and Scott Shane's work in the in the Times this morning. Phenomenal. Is that rather than sort of turn right around uh, and do a 360 and come right after the the truly amazing news story, which was that the Soviet Union was engaged in this process, media was played like a piano, and every last little, you know, uh, leaked memorandum, morsel, leaked per- email, morsel of personal um, comments. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it just was a death by a thousand cuts to the to the Clinton campaign which may or may not have deserved that fate, given that they were rather slow on the uptake once advised that this hacking had occurred. But it was it was unprecedented, and um, the results are uh, as you've described them. I mean, we have now a president who was elected with the assistance of Putin, a man he professes to admire. So, you know, it, to me, what are the conditions under which an election is invalid? It just seems to me that if if you have such a deliberate and, as it turns out, effective um, process of essentially corrupting our democratic election process, why, how is that election still valid? And I, I can I can hear if if he could hear me now, Mr. Uh, Trump. He would be tweeting immediately, you know, saying that I was some kind of evil idiot who, um, you know, I'm used to Trump on a certain level, having been raised in New York. He's such a um, a type 
that is characteristic in the city, but those types that come out of the schoolyards of Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx, where I was raised, um, they don't usually rise to the level of president, you know, or by that time they have um, picked up some manners and some right. perspective on the world that uh, fits them into it rather than viewing yourself as, um, uh, you know, as he said, oh, I'm, I'm pretty smart, so he doesn't need security <laughs> briefings. Uh, Smarter than the generals. It's just, you just, you, every time, you see, that's what has kept us glued to it is that you just can't believe that somebody that was in his position to begin with just running for president, then nominated, yeah. then... Well, I think that the thing to, the thing to realize is, is not so much that he's a schoolyard bully who has managed to find his way into the White House, as that he is a TV celebrity who has found his way into the White House. All right, we had Reagan... Reagan was, you know, a little bit like that in the sense that he was able to substitute for his already failing mental faculties uh, the glamour of, of, of having been part of Hollywood. But with Trump, um, we have the real thing. We have we have an active, ongoing, still, you know, still producer of The Apprentice, I guess, on on paper, a man who uh, who we were able to watch and somehow couldn't quite believe. The masquerade as a leader, the masquerade as a political uh, pundit, as, uh, as somebody worth putting in the White House, um, he got away with it. He, he beat, basically, he beat television at its own game by being, and this has to be conceded, a very, very brilliant uh, read on the American electorate and a very brilliant manipulation of it. Unfortunately, there's campaigning and then there's governance, and you look at the policy proposals that he put forward, you know, each contradicting the last all through the summer. And his that's appointments. Is that uh, his, his... We, we, we accepted that as some kind of, of, uh, of legitimate, coherent uh, analysis of the world and of our own ec economy and of our own um, civil society, when in fact it was, it was entirely uh, hogwash. Anarchic. Hogwash. Let's call it what it is, hogwash. But, hogwash, you know, yes, precisely. I don't know what hogwash means, but I, I guess it, it must mean uh, with the dirty water that comes off a pig you've just washed. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Hogwash, we have to look that up. We have to Google that. Jazz, Google hogwash and tell me what the origin of that is. But listen, here's the thing. Okay, so now it's getting – it just it just gets keeps getting worse. So he has made absolutely – counter and I, I, appointments of people to positions who are opposed to the mission of the organizations that they are going to be running. So you have a guy who is from the energy industry, who, by the way, couldn't even remember the word energy during the debates as the – just pure incompetence. You must be talking about Rick Perry. Yes. No, honest to God. I mean, I'm sure the guy – you know, they say, oh, he was a good manager because he stayed as as um, governor of Texas for so long. Of course, that has nothing to do with Republican gerrymandering of voting districts, right? Right. But um, so I don't know how competent the guy might have been at some point in his life, but I think he's a Reagan in the mix right now, and – you know, as we all get a little older, we keep worrying if we're the next one. So I, I you know, I say that without <laughs> meaning to impugn him any more than any of us who get a little older. But 
God, Lord, I mean, the man is, 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 again, it's a fox in the hen house kind of thing. And then his appointment, you know, the Secretary of State thing is just unreal. It yeah, is, it, yeah. it, 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 but, but altogether, the, all of the advisors from Goldman Sachs, there he was during the campaign. And I do give the media credit for this because they keep flashing, especially the, that's, that's why I watch the openings of the talk shows at night because they actually, put it out there more than the regular media. They they show the tape, you know, uh, what's his name, the guy on, on the CBS show? Why do I always forget his name? Uh, the night uh, night show guy who used to have his show on uh, the Comedy Channel. Help me with that name. You can't think of it either. Oh, yeah. I, no, I don't know exactly who you're talking about, but, but, yeah, but they, they, they're doing they'll, a good job. They'll uh, show footage. They'll show footage of him. You know, talking about how, ooh, you know, Hillary gave a speech to Goldman Sachs and uh, so-and-so is owned by Goldman Sachs. And then he points well, at least two of his top leading advisors from from Goldman Sachs. I mean, you know, how can folks out there – I mean, we always knew that, that folks out there who voted for him because he was theoretically for the little people and for, for people who have – um, suffered, and I, I'm one of the first. I don't, I don't think of, of folks as deplorables. I think of them as people who are really caught in this crunch of this um, transforming economy. And I've said that so many times on this show. I hope that it's not too boring for people to hear me say it again. But we're in the middle of a humongous economic transition, and um, uh, too, too many people are falling by the wayside. And I don't blame any of those people for being angry. I just am so sorry that they're so duped. First, yeah. by the Republican Party in general. Sorry, and folks. The real, the I mean, I, I actually I mean, have voted for Republicans. You know, it's happened before. We've seen it in Louisiana. We had Huey Long, who was in a similarly sort of um, a, a blowhard, who um, had a slightly more coherent agenda, although his his own performance contradicted it, and that he was taking money from the oil industry, even as he denounced it. But the the, the danger is, and I, and I hasten to say that I think. As we adjust to the fact that television has entirely um, absorbed politics into itself, and we have absorbed television into our, you know, sort of mental faculties, the Democrats will eventually come up with their own demagogues, or, or they will learn to use television as cleverly as uh, as Donald Trump. But, but to your point. The real danger here is that as the con is revealed, and it is a con, I mean, I think we know that, Trump is not about to become a man of the people. He is a man of of uh, Goldman Sachs. No, he's a man of, of the man. He's just, he, he he's the man of Trump. He, you know, as a, yeah. as everybody keeps pointing out, he's, an, uh, he's a classic narcissist who, who is really, it's all about, it's all about him. And, and it definitely is not about people out there. On the other hand, we do have to admit that between him and Bernie Sanders, we certainly pulled back the curtain on this, as I said, economic a crush and, and what it's done to people. And it's done to people whether they're old and white or they're young and black. Everybody is impacted by this huge change we're going through. Yep. And I don't think the Democrats, quite frankly, have done any better a job no, the Republicans no, that's, that's at the dealing with the it. That's part of the been problem. They're sitting around sort of playing games with They're playing defense. And... They've been playing defense on these smokescreen issues, you know, of, of dealing with um, all the moral issues. I don't want to go into that in detail, but you know what I'm talking about. So where do we go from here? How, what, how is the media going to cover him 
as president, um, or, 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 or is this Russian hacking thing going to actually become a real scandal, or, or are they just going to go through the motions? I mean, everybody was impressed yesterday, the two Republicans, I guess it was uh, McConnell and um, who was the other one? Well, oh, John uh, McCain. McCain and McConnell are both saying. And, and Lindsey Lindsay Graham. I okay. Think, they, so up. these guys all support the uh, doing an investigation. Okay. So that kind of gets them off the hook in history, right? They will never be accused of of just um, kowtowing to um, Trump and Putin in that process. On the other hand, I don't know how real it is and whether that investigation is going to do anything. As I said, it seems to me it has invalidated the election. And if, you know, if, if I don't know, if, if we had more, um, let's say, uh, male parts to us, maybe we would actually challenge the damn election, because that's really what it, it seems to me should be happening right now. But well, black- there is said to be a way, and I, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm not going to go into elaboration here because I couldn't. But there is a way in which uh, the um, Electoral College could invalidate uh, an entire election based on this kind of intervention, this kind of uh, of rigging, uh, to borrow Donald Trump's term for it, uh, that the Russians have managed to pull off. It seems most unlikely that that's going to happen, but I think you will see, and God willing, the press will cover it intelligently, some real pushback here, because the GOP itself has a core of deeply skeptical, you know, anti-Russian members within it, and they will not, their constituencies and their own political instincts won't let them simply ignore this thing. They might, they may want it to blow over, but the com- combination of of that part of the GOP, and then don't forget that uh, Obama himself has re- required that uh, th- that the national security establishment deliver a, a complete uh, account of this whole Russian involvement before he steps down on January 20th. I think we're going to see something here. I think this there's there's a real possibility uh, that that this could be a, a big mistake, a big stumbling block for uh, Trump, not, not, not because he solicited Putin's cooperation, but because he has been so breezily dismissive of what the CIA uh, has already found and announced. You know, okay, let's, let's, let's just dream on and think that that might really happen, Jed, but he has <laughs> every single time something has come out, we said, oh, this is it. This is going to take him down. Well, so when that, that recording of his his slate, his just really despicable comments, his lock, quote locker room talk, came out, everybody thought that was it, and and that that did not um, counter the conviction on the part of disenfranchised people that he was their best bet. Then I don't think the the uh, Russia, this this uh, spying uh, scandal is is going to work because it's a kind of murky. It's like you can say, okay, we know it. it um, what all they can really say is that they know that the pattern of um, of the uh, hacking um, parrots the the um, hacking by uh, certain um, hackers that are known to be part of the Russian government, right? So mm-hmm. they say, okay, this is the same pattern. Therefore, but you know what? He's going to step right around that. He's that's not going to. So let's let's go to probably 
the reality check that we're stuck with this. We are stuck with this uh, world, which is very, very scary on so many levels. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Okay, and now, I- now, what does the how does the media change? And let me say this: that article in the New York Times, the editorials in the New York Times. The interviews with very knowledgeable people on the cable channels, especially CNN and, and MSNBC. I really can't bring myself to watch too much Fox every once in a while. I, I just can't do it. But um, it's not just just as I can't watch Fox. Folks out there who are in the Trump camp, they don't watch Rachel Maddow and and um, uh, all those guys, the hardball guy and the last Chris word Matthews, guy. Yeah, we're, well, we're all in our little silos. That's that's a very right. Sad so, truth. so I don't, uh, you know, they're they're not going to really peel off anytime soon. I, I mean, if I, if I were one, somebody who had voted for Trump and then saying that he's not bought and owned by Wall Street, and then he appoints all these billionaires from Wall Street. God, Lord, how can they be feeling anything but duped right now, not going another day forward? But here we are. This is going to go forward. This is going to be totally insane. So, again, is the media, and you are a member of the media, you're an important member of the media because you do investigative coverage online. And, by the way, that is one of the newest trends in the media, isn't it, for the, the real sort of hard looks to come from people like you who are generating content, news content online. And every time I look at some speaker on one of these talk shows and I see a new name of a new online political commentary site or some kind of a a, a news site, I'm just astounded. And I know that there must be like not even hundreds, but thousands of them out there. I don't even know, you know, a handful. So, um, how how do you guys go forward, and what do you see in the strategy between the broadcast and the online folks in trying to figure out how – the real issue is how to penetrate the minds of folks who got behind him out of desperation. We're not, well, commu- we're not talking with those folks. They're, they're, there's no communication. Well, there's little. There's not enough. Um, and one one has to hope that actually, you know, Trump will be a learning experience for America. And I think, you know, again, to stress the distinction I've, I've tried to draw between campaigning and, the, you know, the theatricality of campaigning and the brutal reality of governance. I mean, you're going to begin to see the economy weaken and, and you're going to begin to see America manipulated internationally, uh, China's going to score a big, big victory over over Trump because he has withdrawn from any kind of trade engagement that that would have brought American interests, you know, onto the table and into play. I'm encouraged by some of the progress that was made by media, embarrassed media, as we began to learn over the summer, you know, how many mistakes we were making. There was a very important moment, for example, when. New Orleans' own Dean Baquet, who's the editor-in-chief of the Times of the New York, New York Times, Times. Mm-hmm. began reporting bluntly that you know Trump was lying. This was a lie, and and they were not afraid to say so. They got beyond this kind of false equivalency of saying, "Well, Trump believes that climate change is not happening." Um, meanwhile, Hillary Clinton has an email problem. 
You know, these are these yeah. like false equivalency, where you have a right. massive expression of ignorance, stupidity, wishful thinking, uh, placed against as though it somehow balances out um, a wrinkle in the way in which uh, a secretary of state was receiving her communications from her staff. Um, that kind of thing is over, and I think the media learned, you know, an embarrassing and harsh lesson about how how silly that kind of equivocation and and false equivalency really was, and um, and and that that that's that's a, a big step in the right direction. The question is whether, you know, there is an audience out there sophisticated enough to internalize these kinds of truths. I think there is. I'm an optimist. Let's not forget Hillary, Trump, uh, Hillary Clinton took three million more voters with her than could Donald Trump. And, I, you know, I, I, I remain eternally optimistic about the intelligence of the American voter. We have a problem, obviously, in a, in a constitution that structures an electoral college able to, you know, override, as it has now twice yep. in recent years, a popular vote majority. And we wind up with with minority presidents like George Bush, by minority I mean those elected by a minority, not uh, not a racial minority. George Bush, who was elected, uh, you know, with a minority, and then of course, uh, most recently, uh, Trump, who's huge, so, so, lost enormously. So, in 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 addition to uh, the question of the electoral college and whether that is still the, the way we should do things, and of course looking at such a fundamental issue in our constitution uh, is, is nerve-wracking because, in, in a way, I would really not want to open that can of worms with Donald Trump as president because God knows what he would do to undermine the constitution because he's perfectly capable of doing. Well, he's already announced his, his, his threats. He's going he's gonna to curtail the press. He's going to suppress religious freedom. You know, we, we know where he's at, which is just as you've described him. He's a reckless saboteur of the American Constitution. So, so not wanting to necessarily open that can of worms, but on the other hand, between the Electoral College and the other issue is the gerrymandering, right? Yeah. That is really a factor in state, all the states where uh, you have these districts where you, you just, you cannot uh, but elect a Republican out of that um, particular district, and and I I really don't honestly know to what extent the Democrats are as guilty as the Republicans of gerrymandering. I think that maybe the Republicans have just been more effective at it. I think yeah, there's enough guilt to go around in yeah. that, in that score. Mm-hmm. Now, but that's but that's definitely another part of the of of the equation of what's wrong with the way our election system works that allowed this to happen. Yeah, well, what we need, of course, in order to supervise the gerrymandering is a uh, a stronger, a less acquiescent judiciary. We have, obviously, a Supreme Court in thrall to a Republican agenda. They elected Bush. They, you know, passed the uh, Citizens United kind of thing that basically empowered the rich to, to take over the American electoral process. Um, and that's Unfortunately, the group we have to look to in order to supervise and reimpose something like voter rights and equal rights for for minorities and the various political parties that we have, um, don't hold your breath waiting for that to happen under Trump. But that, that's, that's, where that's, the, what I was that's where the pivot yeah. lies. 
Well, cause, so that was what I was about to ask. Is 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 the is one of the outcomes of this? I always point to um, the green dot phenomena that happened in New Orleans, where you know there were some people who thought it was important to introduce basically green practices in neighborhoods. Uh, the kind of thing that the water management program is now instituting that people don't really understand is what Green Dots was all about from the very beginning. But at any rate, people basically felt that there was a move to keep people from coming back, right? To say, okay, we're not going to redevelop the Ninth Ward. That right. was that was never the position. The position was always let's develop it right, although yep. nothing's happening really I, that I – I shouldn't say that. I don't know enough about what's happening, so I have to hold my opinion on that, uh, reserve my opinion. But it's, it's kind of scary how long it's, it's stayed in the weeds. But um, the green dot phenomena, it was a factor in helping to um, energize people in neighborhoods to reclaim them and to say, oh, you really? You don't want us to come back? We're coming back, baby. And yep. there were all these signs all over town that said, we're home, you know, proclaiming um, the importance of place and the importance and the commitment to New Orleans and, and, and saying, um, no one's going to green dot my house. I'm coming back. So theoretically, you could argue that this incredibly scary, dangerous, negative, bigoted uh guy who has taken over the White House and is bringing in these all, I mean he the appointments are just just floor me how uh, much they are uh, a representation of his worst views that we all kind of thought was just rhetoric in the campaign and it turns about out to be what he really thinks Apparently, or what somebody in know. his crew is telling him to think that's also what's going on too is you know that he's he's just getting some uh, incredibly wicked advice based on on the the tribe that he's put together in that's going into into power, yeah. but it, the, the question is: Will that be what it takes to really get Democrats, liberals, independents, people simply who really respect the American, the America that we all thought we lived in and want to see come back? Will this help us? Um, be energized for this struggle to bring that back. I can't believe we're out of time, and I, I'm just talking away, and this is not how I usually do a show, so y'all forgive me for um, expounding, but Jed, you were a great a partner in this, so I, I um, you have to accept some of the blame. All but right. um, we have to do this blame. again. Anytime you want to talk to We you. have to do this again, and... and